So we're, we're, we're continuing our study here in 1 Timothy, entitled a series called Strong and Be Strong in Grace, and this morning is part 26, uh, and we've entitled this The Lies of the Latter Days, or The li- Lies of the Later Days, depending how you want to um, pronounce that. So if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, and, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you to pull it out and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today. Now, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and emphasize this. I really want to encourage you. I know a lot of you use your phones, and some of you don't bring a copy of God's Word. Please bring a copy of God's Word. Now, I would encourage you to bring a hard copy. Here's why. Because your phone can die. And that's why I bring a copy of my scripture up here, and, and my notes are on my iPad. But if my iPad dies, I've got God's Word. I'm, I'm okay. All right, I'm prepared enough to teach it just with, with that. Um, and also, I found, and my, my oldest son, actually, he used to use his phone all the time for his Bible, and then he was home, it has been a couple of years ago, he was probably a senior year of college and home, and, and I noticed he had like a, a, a paper Bible. And um, I said, Joshua, you're not using your phone anymore. He says, no, I, I found out that when I use my phone, I get distracted because I get notifications that come through all the time, and then I get distracted. So it's really mature of him to decide, I, I want to bring a, a hard copy. So I'm not shaming anyone who doesn't have a hard copy. Please don't hear it. I'm just encouraging you to bring your Bible. And we want you to be, we want you to be Bereans here. And Berean is, they, the Bereans in, in, in Acts 17, they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul had to say was true. They checked up on Paul. He, he's saying this and this and this. Well, let's look in our, let's look, he was teaching out of the Old Testament. Let's see what Paul has to say is true. Hey, if, if, if they did it for Paul, you need to do it for me. I promise you that. So I just want to encourage you, bring your Bible. Um, and uh, that sounds old school. That's okay. All right. Uh, if, if, uh, I'm just thankful that we have the privilege to have God's Word. Well, before we dive into these six verses today, we're going to do a little time and review from last week. Last week, uh, and it helps us get things in context before we move on. Last week, Jay covered 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, and it was entitled, The Pillar and Foundation of the Truth. And he began by asking the question, remember this, who is the pillar and foundation of the truth? And he was kind to not allow anybody to shout out who that was, but he, he threw out some answers that most of us probably would give. And then as he threw out those answers, he also had this annoying buzzer to say we were wrong, if you remember that, on multiple counts. And then he actually gave us the right answer of who is the foundation, the, 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 the foundation of the truth um, and the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the answer was... If you all remember this, I am, we are. I am, we are. The body of Christ, the church, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And that's what it teaches there in our passage last week. And to illustrate this truth, Jay took us to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and told the story from that passage of Scripture. And we were reminded in that passage that Jesus, after his resurrection, he's meeting with the apostles, and he tells them not to leave Jerusalem, to stay there until what the Father had promised would come, which would be the Holy Spirit. And, and while they were there together, he, he, he told them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the world. And, and after Jesus said these things, he was lifted up and ascended out of their sight. And as they were watching these things happen and seeing Jesus being lifted up, ascended and ascending out of their sight, two angels assured them that Jesus would return one day in the very same way that he left. 
And Jay used this story from Acts to help us understand that we, the church, are the pillar and foundation of the truth. And we have been committed with guarding the truth and spreading it to others. He also said it in another way to help emphasize this. After Jesus finished the work of redemption, the church began the work of reconciliation. And then another way he said it was Jesus provided right relationship with God and his followers promote right relationship with God. Jay also reminded us that, that, that Jesus' plan to finish his job to build his church is going to be done through us. It's going to be done through people. That's the way that he does it. And we learn in Romans, that it's, how would they know without a preacher? And that's, that's, not, that's, talking about, that's not talking about what we think of a preacher. It's talking about how they know with people if people don't go proclaim, don't tell it to somebody. We're all preachers. We're, we're proclaimers of the, the gospel. So God has chosen to do it through us, the light of the world, the, the salt of the earth, the pillar and foundation of the tr- truth. And Jay reminded us also that Paul wanted us to have a fire about sharing that truth with everybody can we come in contact. Um, we also saw that in verse 16, verse 16 is an ancient hymn. And if you all, I don't want to illustrate this, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand, but we all memorize things a lot easier through song, right? We do. I was illustrating this last week with our life group. Now, it showed how old I was because most of the people in our life group didn't have any idea what I was talking about. So that shows you where I stand in our life group. But I said, my baloney has a first name. It is O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It is M-E-Y-A-R. Right? And that's, that's the Oscar Mayer Wiener song, right? How about this? Oh, what a feeling to drive. Toyota, there we go. Okay, now, see, there's a few people here that can know that. How about this? Big, flat, Big Mac, filet of fish, quarter pounder, french fries, icy cokes, thick shakes, sundaes, and apple pies. That's actually a McDonald's that most of you haven't heard. Well, I never sat down in front of my TV and said, hey, I'm going to memorize the, uh, Mom, hold on, I know you're calling for dinner, but I'm, I'm trying to memorize the, 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 the words of the Oscar Mayer Wiener song. I never did that. I just got them because it was set to music. It was a nice little jingle, and I learned it. And people have learned that way all through the history of the world. There, there's the whole, we have a whole, the largest book in the Bible, Psalms, is a song book. Those people, the people sang those psalms. And, there, and there's, there's New Testament songs. This is one of them. It's a hymn. And they did this so they could memorize key truths about who God was, who the person of Christ is, what he had done. Uh, and, and that's why they have this hymn. And, and then um, we, uh, Jay had us listen to a song, How Great Is Our God, if you remember that. We watched a video, and it was sung by people from many different languages. And that just emphasized, it was a testimony of God's eternal and gracious plan to redeem a multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. From all, all people groups. And how will he accomplish that plan? Well, he's going to do it through us as people. The pillar and support of truth, the church, through the truth that we find in the hymn that's recorded in verse 16. Let me just read that to you again. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
whole what truth is there. And I would just encourage you, as Jay did last week, to contemplate those truths and find. We, it was fun in our, in our life group as we just threw out one line. People, oh, yeah, you find that over here. And that's talking about this. And people were just talking about what this said about Jesus, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, this leads us to our passage this morning. And I would like to ask you to stand with me as we normally do. And we're going to read God's word together this morning. Well, let me, uh, we'll, we'll read it from there. Here we go. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. Read this with me. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as one with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by the means of word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good steward of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. Let's pray. Well, we, want, we want to thank you for your word this morning. We want to thank you that you promised, Lord, as we read, we study your word, that you use the, the Holy Spirit to in, enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand and then apply it to our lives. So Lord, we're going to trust that, that, that you would do that because only you can. We trust you to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we begin to unpack this passage this morning, I, I want to warn you a little bit here that, that there, there's some uncomfortable things in these verses, if you just read that, it's, it's just some, ooh, that's, that's a little iffy. That's a little uncomfortable to hear those kind of things. There, there's some hard truths. And, and therefore, before we look at them, I want to explain to you why it's important that I teach them this morning. All right? So there, there are two reasons that it's important that we, we look at these and we, we, we learn and, and we teach these this morning. The first one is found in verse 1 of our passage. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later, later times, some will fall away from the faith. Notice who it is that explicitly says this. It's the Spirit. God, the Spirit. See, God is one what and three who's. One what, he is God. Three who's, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. And we don't have time to go into, into all that, but he's talking about the God, the Spirit. If God, the Spirit, has said this, we better teach it. And we better listen carefully, right? Because God, the Spirit, has said this. Now, where did God, the Spirit explicitly say that in later times that some would fall away from the faith? Well, there's multiple times in the Gospels that Jesus alludes to this, that in the later times that, that, that some will fall away from the faith, multiple times. And this could be uh, what Paul is referring to here. However, I think the context more likely is he's pointing to something that happened in Acts chapter 20. Remember that 1 Timothy here, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's at the church of Ephesus, and he is finishing the work and, 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 and helping the, the, the work of planting the church that Paul planted there, helping them grow and setting things in order. That's what he's doing in Ephesus. And in Acts 20, Paul calls the, the, the elders from the church of Ephesus to meet him in a place called by Miletus, right? And listen to what he says, part of what he says to them in Acts 20, verse 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Like in latter times, some will fall away, and you'll see some other things we're going to see in our passage today. 
Uh, it was a spirit who enabled Paul to know this would happen. And Paul is now saying to Timothy here at the char- start of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, hey, I told you it was going to happen, and it's happening right now. It's happening in Ephesus right now, just like he promised it would. So the first reason it's important for me to teach the, these, these verses this morning is because the Spirit of God gave them to us. The second reason it's important for me to teach these verses is found in verse 6, all right? So we got verse 1, and then look at verse 6, first, the first part here. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So why is it important that I teach this passage this morning? Because in pointing out these things, I will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, and I really want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And I don't say that funny. I really want to be. Paul also told those Ephesian elders when he brought them in Acts 20 that he did not neglect to teach them the whole counsel of the word of God. And that's why we're committed here at the Potter's House to teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We don't skip over the tough stuff. We don't just cherry pick verses. Oh, I kind of like this one. This makes me feel good. And I think this will make the people feel good. No, we just teach how God's word house is meant to be taught in context. And we never, if I skip these six verses this morning, I guarantee you most of you would call me out. And if I, if I did skip those six verses, you better call me out. We don't skip verses. And, 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 and I want to be a faithful, good servant of Christ Jesus. So that, that's why. That's why I'm teaching these, even though they're hard, even though there's some difficult things in them. And also, before we begin, just mentioning verse 6, uh, the, the phrase here in pointing out these things, um, it's a tran- verse 6 is a transition verse. It, it points back to verses in pointing out these things. These things are verses 1 through 5, and it also points out the things to come in verses 7 through 8 and following. So we're going to actually look at verse 6 this week and next week, because it's meant to be with verses 1 through 5 and with the verses that are following it. So I'm just telling that as we go, as you think, hey, we we covered verse 6 last week. Well, we're going to cover it again next week, too. And maybe you can sleep next week at the beginning of the the message, all right? So, um, okay. Well, it's time to fasten our seatbelts as we head into our passage this morning. There's a lot here. And I've been praying, Lord, help me be concise, but also thorough, because there's a lot here. So I'm just telling you, fasten your seatbelts. Are are you ready? You have your seatbelts fastened? Tighten them up real good. Because ready or not, here we go. All right, let's now examine this passage, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6, where we're going to answer six questions which will enable us to understand the lies of the latter days so that we will stand firm in the truth for the glory of God. Here are the six questions. I'm going to give them to you. All right, when are the latter days? What will happen in the latter days? Who are liars? What are the lies? Who is to combat the lies? And how do we combat the lies? So those are the six questions that we're going to answer as we walk through this passage this morning. So let's start with the first question. When are the latter days? Notice in verse 1 the phrase, in latter times, or latter days, your translation may say. From the time of Pentecost, after Jesus' ascension, the church viewed itself, the early church viewed itself in the latter days. From when, when he ascended, and, and right after Pentecost, which happened after that, from then on, they believed believe that they were in the latter days. And the context, when we look here at 1 Timothy, cha- throughout 1 Timothy, and specifically chapter 4, the context points to the fact that Paul was referring to the latter days as being currently present. We know this because he's writing to Timothy about the current behavior and the teaching of the false teachers, not something that's going to happen later. 
He's talking about present tense verbs that are happening right now in the church of Ephesus, not the end times as we think about them. He's talking about right now. The, the latter days in the New Testament as a whole are the days of time, uh, 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 the days or the times between the first coming in Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So when you read the New Testament, the later times or later days, don't just think about the end of the world. We're in the latter times because we're in between the first advent or the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. These are the latter days. That's what they were in there. That's what we are in today. So let's examine. So that's the answer to the question, when are the latter days? Hey, they were in them and we're in them. Well, the second question we want to look at is what will happen in the latter days? Well, look at me at verse 1 again. Let me read this again. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, uh, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Notice that phrase, some will fall away from the faith. Some translations say some will abandon, some will depart. To whom is this referring and what does it mean? Some will fall away from the faith. The word fall away, as I mentioned, there's a couple of different translations to be abandoned depart. It's a purposeful and deliberate departure from a former position. That's what this word means. A purposeful and deliberate departure from a former position. We get the word apostatize. Maybe you've heard about apostasy or apostites. Maybe you've heard of that uh, from, from this word. It's an act of rebellion against God and his truth. That's what it means. That's why I really like abandon the part translation a little bit better than fall away. Fall away almost felt, it's like the, we, we call the fall of sin. You know, that, that's the fall. They didn't fall. They ran right into it deliberately. And we don't, you don't just that fall away. No, it's a, the, the word means to deliberately walk away. So who are the, the, these some who will abandon the faith? They are those who Jesus described in the parable of the sower. If you remember this in Luke, Chapter 8, where he describes the gospel as seed being spread on all kinds of soil. All right? They're one of these groups of people. Notice what Jesus says in Luke 8, 13. Those are on the rocky soil, those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have not, they, these have not a firm root. They believe for a while, and in time, temptation, look, they fall away. They, they depart. This describes people who heard the gospel, believed it intellectually. Understand, the word believe, all right, in the New Testament has different levels of belief. You really see this in the Gospel of John. It, it has an intellectual assent kind of belief. I believe these facts are true, all right? It ha has a belief that people believe in the sense they believe as long as it's good for them. And then it has what we would call saving faith or saving belief. It, it's trusting completely in something or someone, all right? This belief... Here, in context, in, 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 in Luke, in context we're in right now, it is those who believe intellectually they were physically part of the visible church but never truly trusted Jesus as their Savior from sin. Let me say that again. These people that, that, that Jesus is talking about, that Paul's talking about here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, are those who believed intellectually the facts of the gospel. They believed the back of Jesus' baseball card, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived 30, 30 years, and, and, and 33 years, and he died in 30 AD on a cross, and he rose again. They believe those facts about Jesus, but they're not believing on Jesus or what he did. So they believe intellectually. They were physically part of the visible church, but they never truly trusted Jesus as their Savior from sin. The Lord, through John, also writes about these people who will abandon the faith. Look at 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, listen, 
but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they, they, they are not of us. All right, John's talking about people who are in the church physically. You can see them in the visible church, but they're not really part of the church. Because the church is the body of Christ, all those who've repented from trusting themselves and turned and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. That, that's the church. But there's people, and we see this all through the New Testament, that will be in the visible church who really aren't part of the church. And here John says, hey, they went out from us. And the reason why, because they were not really with us. They were not of us. They weren't really born again. But they were among us, and then eventually they departed from us. So if they're truly born again, true believers in Jesus Christ as Lord, they, will have, they would have remained. Some have called this the perseverance of the saints. You ever heard that? perseverance of the saints, that, that terminology. If not, what that means is it, it, those who are born again will persevere to the end in belief. They won't fall away. And I believe this to be true because it's clearly taught in the Bible. I also believe in, in the preservation of the Savior. So what does that mean? Because it's the Savior who preserves us so that we might persevere. Let me say it again. It's the Savior. It's not in our strength. It's not because I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to hang in there till Jesus comes. That's not what it's talking about. The, te- the, 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 the Word of God does not teach that. It teaches the reason that we persevere is because the, the Savior is preserving us. He is holding on to us. There's an old hymn called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Hey, the only reason I'm in Christ is because he's holding on to me. And if, any, if all the rest of us are, are, are honest, you have to shake your head and be in agreement with that. There ought to be a hundred, how many people in here, 150 amens to that. We, we persevere because he preserves us. And that's the only reason we stay in Christ is because of him. We can't pat ourselves on the back. We can't pat ourselves on the back when we come to him in faith. And we can't pat ourselves on the back when we remain in him in faith. Because he's the one doing the work. I'm going to make a strong statement here. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. That's all we bring. Wow, what a Savior. If we bring anything else, then we get to pack our, pat ourselves on the back. It's not what a Savior. Well, he's pretty good. No, he's amazing. That's the Savior. And, and so I believe this because it's true, all right? If they're truly in Christ, they will stay. And that's what the Scripture teaches. And notice why these people will depart, okay? Back in verse 1 um, of our passage. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. This word, these words, paying attention, some translations, devoting themselves, all right? It, 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 it means to devote. It's a deliberate. It's, a, it's, just, it's talking about their willful departure. They're not falling away by accident. They're willingly walking away and knowing they're doing it. They will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And this leads us to our third question, all right? Right, right into our next question. Who are the liars? Who are the liars? Well, verses 1 and 2 describe the liars, the false teachers. But first, let's notice the source or root of the lies, all right, and and the the liars spread. Look back there in verse 1, back to that deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Here we see the source of the message the liars spread is Satan and his forces of demons. The Bible says that Satan is a small G, not capital, small G God of this world. And he's influenced this world in so many ways. And he has a legion. We don't understand all about them, but he has a legion of these demons, these deceitful spirits, demons. And they're spreading his lies all through our world. 
And since Satan and his forces are the source of the message, they have to be lies. Because we know in John 8, 44, what does Jesus say about Satan? He's the father of lies. All lies ultimately come from the enemy of our soul. Now look at the description of the liars in verse 2. It says, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Notice the phrase, hypocrisy of liars. Hypocrisy. It means to be insincere. This is exactly opposite of what Paul said about he and Timothy's message, that, they were, that they were, their message was sincere. It was true. Their heart was in it. These, these false teachers, these liars, are insincere. Not, and, and they know it. They know that they're, being, they're deliberately leading people astray, and they know they're doing it. All right? Now, notice the phrase, seared in their own consciousness with a branding iron. This terminology is pointing to ancient practice of branding criminals and runaway slaves with, with an iron. All right? It's not saying this right, but that's what they did. All right? Criminals, and they put brand them with an iron. All right? One commentator correctly points out that by using this terminology about the liars, these false teachers... Paul is pointing out the fact that they have had their conscience branded or marked by Satan and mark his ownership on them. They've had their conscience branded. Now, some people take this that they've had their conscience seared so they, they don't have a conscience any, anymore. That, it can't mean that because, remember, they're insincere. They know what they're doing. That means they're conscious. They, is, they're fully aware of what they're doing. No, it means they've been branded by Satan. They've been marked out for Satan to be used by him. So who are the liars? Well, people who have, been plant, who have planted themselves among true believers who've been marked by Satan and are being used by Satan and his forces to tell lies. All right, let's look, let's look at the fourth question. What are the lies? What are the lies? We'll spend most of our time here this morning. Now look with me at verse 3 that describes the lies the liars are spreading. Notice the summary of the lies with the phrase, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. This is basically what we would call asceticism. And what is that? It's the denial of, denial of physical things to make ourselves right with God. So if we deny ourselves of physical things, here like marriage and certain foods, and that's going to make us right with God. All right? The, the, the whole thing uh, in the early church about monasticism. All right? They think, hey, if I can remove myself from the world, I'll never sin. Guess what? In all those monasteries, they all sinned. They couldn't get away from it. They couldn't remove themselves. From things. They couldn't not do certain things physically and be removed from it and be made right with God. Those things did not make them right with God. It sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? You know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm refraining. I'm going to be like Paul and refrain to be married. I'm holy. And I'm not going to eat these things here because I'm holy. It sounds really good. But that's not what the scripture teaches. The Bible teaches that we're made right with God, not by what we do, not by separating ourselves from physical things. We are made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the only way we're made right, not by separating ourselves from certain physical things. So let's briefly look at the, this first lie, all right? Men who forbid marriage. Does God forbid marriage? You, nobody really answered that. <laughs> I'm kind of concerned here. We have some people married here, I think. All right, if so, we're all in trouble, right? No, God doesn't forbid marriage. He never would do that. In fact, in Genesis 1-2, God create, creates Adam and Eve. He gives them marriage, and he says that it's very good. 
It's very good. And yes, some people have been called a single lifestyle, but not all. And you can go read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. that teaches there's some have been called to a single lifestyle, but not all. In fact, most have not been. And here in 1 Timothy, Paul also lifts up marriage by promoting women to have children in chapter 2 and younger women to remarry when their husband has died. So if it's wrong for us to marry in the first place, if they remarry, it's doubly wrong, isn't it? But Paul doesn't say that. He, he encourages them to remarry. We'll get to that, uh, that, that passage here pretty soon. But he, he holds up marriage as a gift from God. Well, the next lie is seen in, in this advocate abstaining from foods. Does God tell us that abstaining from certain foods will save us from the penalty of our sin to make us right with God? Does he say that? No. But that's what these, these liars, these false teachers were teaching. In fact, notice what the Lord says through Paul in the remainder of verses 3 four, and five. Let me read that again for us again. Um, Foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Paul is basically summarizing what God says about food, meat included, in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter nine. His marriage argument comes from Genesis. His food argument comes from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 9. All that God created is good, which includes food, therefore food is good. That's what he's saying. The struggle with dietary restrictions was a real struggle in the early church. Many had come out of Judaism. In fact, most, all the early one, the, most of the early people who come to Christ were all Jews. And that was their background. That was ingrained in their head. And it was, just, it was a real struggle in the early church, even though Jesus in Mark 7, 19 had declared that all foods are clean. In Mark 7, 19, you can write down and go look it up. He declared that all foods were clean. And, and, and in Acts 10, the Lord made it clear to Peter, if you remember Peter's vision, he was going to go visit this Gentile. And, and, and God gave him a dream. He didn't want to go visit the Gentile because that would be unclean. He'd be around all this food. It'd be unclean. And, and God gives him his vision, and I would love to see what was on it. But he, it says he did this sheet, and it was full of all the things that were said to be unclean. And, and, and Peter's like, I can't eat any of that. And, and God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Go get him, Paul. Or go get him, Peter. He said go get him, Paul, too. But go get him, Peter, in this particular dream. All right? So... So in, in Acts 10, we see that. We also, we also see it in Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians 10. You want to work all those up? Hey, we, we, can eat, we, can eat, we can eat bacon now. It's good. It's clean. And ham and how many hoofs they got, all that. It's, it's free, free for all, in a sense. Be careful. Gluttony is not free for all, okay? But here, okay, here in verses 3 through 5, Paul it basically restates his argument of why food is good and how we receive it three different times. I want to show you this. This is really neat. He, he, he repeats himself three times in verses three through five, emphasizing this one point. And to help you do that, I don't know if this will help you, some of you might, I want to show you this chart, all right? In the left-hand column are three ways to state the truth statement about food, see it? Which God created to be shared, all right? Everything created by God is good and sanctified or made holy by means of the word of God. Those are all three the same statement. All right, now look at the right-hand column. And th- these, are three, th- these are three ways to state how we receive God's 
gift or God's good gift of food specifically, gratefully shared in those who believe, who know the truth. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude and it is sanctified by means of prayer. All three say the same thing. He's just saying it three different ways to emphasize. I love this. He knew I'd be reading it. I needed to be overemphasized so I would get it. Some of you only need like the first verse. I needed all of them to really get what he was saying. So that's what he's doing. He, this is a literary device that Paul is using to emphasize the same truth. Verse 5 is often misquoted when, when not seen in the context of verse 3 and 4. All right? If you, so it's sanctified or made holy by means of the word of God and prayer. It's like we do this hocus pocus and all of a sudden the food becomes holy. No, the food is holy. It's clean because God said it so. We can hocus pocus it all we want. It won't change the nature of that food. That, that's misunderstanding of it. All right, so think about this. The word of God, what God says about food in Genesis 1, Genesis 3, Genesis 9, Mark 7, Acts 10, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 10. That's what God has said. It's the word of God. And then prayer, receiving it in thanksgiving, in gratitude as a gift from God. It's been made holy already. We just acknowledge to God that he made it holy. The Bible teaches we are free to partake of any food. However, we are not commanded to partake of all foods. And in fact, there will be instances when we should refrain from certain things that we are free to partake of. And we see this on lots of levels in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter, chapter 8, but specifically in verse 13 in this particular instance, food. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause my brother to stumble. There are times, even though we're free to partake, that we don't partake, so we won't cause others to stumble. Do you see that? So is isn't, isn't a free-for-all, we just eat whatever we want, we don't care about anybody else. No, we do, and, and it, go, go study that passage, it's beautiful, how we, we sometimes limit our freedoms for the betterment of other people, all right? And the Bible also calls us to sometimes fast for certain reasons, so we've got to be real careful about, we want to take the scripture as a whole and look at this, right? There's times when we do abstain from food. To help clarify what's being really taught here in verses 3 through 5, I want to read to you a quote, and I don't normally like to read long quotes, but this was so good. I think it will help maybe clarify what's taught in verses 3 through 5, all right? It says, when we thank God for his good gifts and do not treat them as our rights, we remember that they come from him. Consequently, we treat them as set apart or sanctified for our benefit. We recognize that he has sanctified or set them apart. When we pray, give thanks for them and reflect on the scriptures that tell us that they come from our Heavenly Father for our benefit. Paul's idea was not that through a ritual of scripture recitation and praying, marriages and food become acceptable for God's people. We learn that God has set apart what he has created for our enjoyment through the word of God, and we acknowledge that through prayer. Does that make sense? This is that last phrase there. We, that we learn that God has set, what God has set apart, he has created for our enjoyment through the word of God, and we acknowledge it through prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving us this food. Well, the main point here is that the liars, the false teachers, were teaching that abstaining from certain foods, we're going to make them right with God and make, or be saved. This is a salvation by works, and that is false. It's a lie. The question we've been answering here in verse 3 through 5 are, what are the lies? And I want to restate that question. That's not a, that's not a good question. 
what are the lies? It's, it's not. It's a decent question. Not a good. I've got a really good question, though, to replace that. What is the lie? What is the lie? Although Paul gives two examples of lies, there are many others, and they all come down to one lie. A person is made right with God and forgiven by what they do. They all fall under that same category. That's a lie. Anything that teaches that we're saved or made right with God by something other than grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is a lie. And it's from the pit. And we have to reject it. It's really an issue of spelling. We're going to do a little spelling lesson here, okay? All right? All other worldviews or all other views in the world that talk about how we can be made right with God are spelled D-O. It's what we do. But God's way, found in his word, is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what he has done. You see the difference? It's not do, it's done. And that's been from the very beginning has been God's plan. It's what he has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, it's also a math equation, all right? So we've got spelling out of the way. We're reading, writing, arithmetic. We've already read earlier, all right? We've got a little spelling here, and now we're going to do a math equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. My mentor used to say this all the time, and when I got to preach his funeral, we all had these pens. I couldn't find my pen this morning, but it says Jesus plus nothing. Um, Jesus plus nothing. Listen, it's not Jesus plus attending church. It's not Jesus plus reading my Bible. It's not Jesus plus praying. It's not Jesus plus attending church worship service. It's not Jesus plus being baptized. It's not Jesus plus taking the Lord's Supper. It's not Jesus plus doing good works. It's not Jesus and liking certain things on social media. It's not Jesus and being affiliated with a particular political party. It's not Jesus plus being an American. But somehow in our world today, we've gotten that mixed up. Especially those last ones. We, we, we probably go, oh, no, on those other ones. Oh, we're kind of treading on thin ice right now. Hey, it's Jesus plus nothing. And you know what nothing means in Greek? Nothing. Nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is how we are made right with God. No other way. There's only one lie. And it's the lie that we do something to earn our salvation. And we do not. We are made right with God. What? By grace Alone, through faith, alone, in Christ, alone, alone. When sharing the gospel, we must be careful not to add anything to trusting in Jesus for a person to be forgiven and be made right with God. Not adding anything. If so, then it's not the gospel, it's a lie. We must be clear on the gospel. These last two questions will be... um, A lot shorter than that one, but who is to combat the lies? Look in verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Well, the immediate context is a call to Timothy to combat the lies by pointing out the things that the the followers of Jesus, the lies the followers of Jesus in Ephesus are hearing. That's the immediate context. But the larger context that looks back to the preceding passage from the end of chapter 3 Verses 14 through 16 calls for us, the church, the pillar and foundation of the truth, to combat the lies by pointing them out to others so they will not be deceived. We are to combat the truths. 
So this answer, who is to combat the truths, is the same answer to the question, who is the pillar and foundation of the truth? I am. We are. We're to combat it. And let's briefly look at this last question. How do we combat the lies? Well, look in verse 6. Constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. In a nutshell, we combat the lies with truth, with the truth. And we'll spend more time on, on this part next week in verses 6 through 8 about the truth. But for now, we can just summarize it with we combat the, tr- the lies with the truth of God's word. That's how we combat the lies. Specifically, what it says concerning the person and work of Christ. And if you remember again, a great summary of the person and work of Christ is found in that wonderful hymn that we looked at last week. Would you read this with me? All of us together. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. And remember, it's from this truth of the person and work of Christ, the gospel, that all true godliness flows. The one true gospel transforms us into people who are growing in godliness. Those who are in Christ by faith do godly things because they are right with God, not to make themselves right with God. Let me say it again. Those who are right with God through faith in Jesus Christ are right because of that, not because they do right things. They're already right because of faith in Jesus Christ. He has made them right, and he is growing us in godliness. Well, how can we respond to God's word this morning? Well, first, be aware we're in the latter days, and there, there are lies being told concerning how one is to be reconciled or made right with God. It's still going on. It was going on then. It's going on now. And be careful. The enemy is sly. He doesn't just keep using the same thing over and over and over again. It ultimately comes to the same thing over and over again, but he gets there different ways. And I think one of the greatest ways right now is the Internet, and so these can be, they're inanimate objects, they're not evil themselves, but they're being used because we're taking so much in, and the enemy knows that. So guess what's going to show up in there? It's going to add things to the gospel. We must not add anything to trusting in Jesus alone for a person to be forgiven and be made right with God. We're called to combat the lies of the latter days with the truth. Let me ask this question. Do you know the truth, especially in concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is found in his word? We'll only grow in our understanding and ability to express the truth as we are constantly nourished, as it says at the end of our passage, on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which we have been following. This means we need to be consistently and persistently and passionately pursuing to know the heart of God through his word the bible i think i've shared this before not a picture but here's a practical way that we can do this all right it's just a practical way so the 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 thumb here all right you can see the thumb that's meditate on god's word right and then the 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 pointing finger is memorize his word then the next finger is study his word and then the fourth finger is read his word and then the next one is hear his word and if we had six fingers i would add this one and we don't have six fingers, all right? But if we had six fingers, and share his word, and share his word. Now, this is helpful. And then we, then we have a proper get grasp on the word of God so we can know the heart of God and know the truth, and we can lead people 
to the master, Jesus Christ. Well, have you embraced the gospel message? Have you embraced this message that you're made right with God through faith by placing your trust alone in Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Have you turned from trusting in yourself and anything that you do or could do? Turn from that and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work through his death, burial, and resurrection. Have you done that this morning? I hope you have. If you haven't, I pray you do that this morning. If you want to talk to some people about that, we're going to have couples down on each side. After the service, you can come up and you can talk to them, ask them about that. I plead that you would do that today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the warnings that we see in your word to to sometimes wake us up. Lord, I pray here at the potter's house that we would be faithful, good servants, good ministers of Christ Jesus who point out these things, who are aware of these things, who know you through your word and we know the truth so that we will not lead people astray, but Lord, we will lead them to the Savior. Lord, help us do that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the pillar and foundation of the truth, we are both called to protect and to propagate the truth, to share the truth, to help us remind of our our, our privilege to, to propagate this truth. Let's stand together and let's say this together because this is Jesus' call for all of us in this room today. Let's say this together to be dismissed. Here we go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.